This is your podcast for all things refinishing. I'm Lane Ball with Zebras Before and After. Welcome to episode 190. I'm so excited to talk about this because I, I don't think I've really talked to the whole world about where the techniques come from. I've mm-hmm. talked a little bit in my classes. Um, but, well, really, you know, I was taught my whole life to, um, you know, get creative and make it work. Like, find a solution, right? Chelsea with Apple Blossom Way loves nature and often takes what she sees in nature and emulates that look with her paintbrushes and paint. Today we hear from her as she tells us how to develop your own painting techniques. Diana with Field Co. Design shares a tip on how to achieve the smoothest finish possible in those detail areas. This week's question of the week, what did you do before you began refinishing furniture? Volume 2 is answered by our furniture refinishing friends, Stephanie with Wild Sparrow Designs, Franny with Frandelion Fields, Katie with Salvage by K. Scott, and Derek with a Grandson's Brush. Stay with us, friends. We have the inspiration, fun, and community that will platform your day. Furniture refinishers are diverse. You have different style preferences and different techniques. Preferences with solid colors versus multiple colors. And of course, it's a global community of artists from North America to Europe to Australia and so many others. It's always exciting to see how different techniques develop and of course, learn how to achieve those new looks for yourself. Today, we have the privilege of chatting with our friend Chelsea with Apple Blossom Way. You will enjoy our conversation as she takes us into a creative process of developing new techniques in refinishing. Hi, Chelsea. So good to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So how is the creative life been for you in 2022? I've spent a lot more time outside and getting inspiration. And I think it's kind of like the best of both worlds. It's been good. Yeah, that sounds that sounds so nice. There's nothing like being outside. And I know that's why so many refinishers, you know, even though they have their studios and they have everything set up, if they can get outside and uh, just be out in nature and, and do the refinishing work, even if it's like maybe sanding or cleaning or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that makes such a huge difference. So definitely just having a little bit of sunshine. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it warms it's the like, soul. Yep. If you can haul it outside, take it outside and paint it. <laughs> exactly. Can you believe we are already in September? What is going on? Oh, I know. And it's been hot here. It has been toasty for September. It's kind of like a record, I think. So you say here, where is here? I am in Utah. I'm about an hour south of Salt Lake. And uh, typical September weather, I'd say, is maybe like 80s, high 70s. And we've had hundreds all week last week. So no we'll way. see. Maybe the cool will come. I'm hoping. I have my flannel uh, ready. You know, when it's when it gets that hot, or maybe this is just typical in the summer, Do you usually is it usually breezy there? Or is it like still and no... no uh... A wind. It kind of fluctuates throughout the day. Utah has all four seasons, and sometimes you'll have all four seasons in one day here in Utah. So it kind of depends, but it's it's not humid. It's a super dry heat. I don't know. There's something about that dry heat that really uh, I am drawn to because I, I guess just because here in North Carolina, there's the humidity gets so high. I mean, sometimes it can be 90, 95 degrees high humidity and you step outside because you want to be outside and then you can't breathe <laughs> you're like run back in oh exactly your clothing or <laughs> clothing's all wet and oh yeah. yeah it's different it is very different here than you know down south and back east for sure it's funny my wife is from uh, minnesota and um of course they have some humidity there with all the lakes but I don't know. It just seems like humidity is higher in North Carolina, but she was like, you know, the the thing that she noticed the most was paper doesn't crunch. 
paper yeah. like just gets wet and it just falls. <laughs> I mean, it just folds over. I learned that too. Like people said, you have to keep your chips closed. If you don't have your chips closed up tight, they'll be soggy in the morning. And I thought, well, I could leave chips out for three days and eat them. No, fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know. You know, it's funny because I said earlier, like it's September and I was thinking about that, but I feel like, I don't know if you do this, but I feel like I do this every year where I say, I can't believe it's fall already or almost fall. And then I'm thinking this year has gone by so fast, but doesn't it just go by fast every year? Don't we just say that every year? Yeah, I don't think it ever, it never slows down, but I don't think we get over the shock of it not slowing down. It's still surprising to us. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. So Chelsea, just to put things in context of our conversation we're, and the things that we're going to discuss, I want to know, and I'm sure our listeners want to know, when it comes to refinishing, how long have you been at it? All right. So I've had my business as Apple Blossom Way for five years. I started in 2017, uh, but I've been refinishing long before that. I uh, previously had another small business that I had with a friend and I went back to work and I painted here and there. So I would say I've been doing actual furniture for probably, uh, I don't know, 12 years. Wow. You've seen a lot of changes and you've seen probably, if you say 12 years, when you first started in it. There probably wasn't um, near the amount of people in the industry as there is today. I mean, it's just it's just really exploded in many ways. Oh, I remember when I first had the idea, I found a little piece of furniture by the dumpster outside of our house, and it was the cutest side table. And I thought, there is nothing wrong with that. We don't have any money, and I could paint that. So I did it. And I told my husband, I think I really think I could make a business out of this. And I remember we were on our way to our tax guy, and I told him that. And uh, he said, yeah, sounds like a good idea because it just wasn't well known. It wasn't a big thing back mm -hmm. then like it is now. It's an incredible industry. And it's it's amazing to see so many people from different walks of life, different backgrounds jumping into it and, and saying, you know what, <clears throat> I'm leaving my former background as far as career behind because I love this. Or you got people that are still doing their regular job and they're doing this on the side and just absolutely loving it. Mm -hmm. Speaking of backgrounds, so what is your background? All right. Well, I, I lean towards art and hard work. And nature. How about that? Oh, well, that's it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I was raised, my dad did concrete. He snowplowed in the winter. I was raised helping him and working hard. So I learned a lot of work ethic from him. Um, my grandparents were artists, so I really loved to draw and paint. I took painting in college. Uh, and then I decorated cakes. So I had a cake decorating business. And I taught myself how to decorate cakes and took some classes and I had that as a business. And then when I started kind of leaning into painting furniture, I found that I enjoyed it more and it lasted, you know, the cake is gone when it's gone and the furniture stays. So it's worth putting the work into it. Uh, and then I kind of just never looked back because what I wanted to do and I wanted to be my own boss. And so I just started doing it. Man, what great influences you've had. That is like tremendous. And to think your grandparents were artists, um, that's, uh, that's so cool. Yeah, very lucky. They're neat people. Yeah, you, you say cake uh, decorating and, and baking. Are you Do you still do that on the side? No, only on occasion. I did make my son, an, he wanted an ant, a 3D ant cake oh, wow. for his birthday. So I did make him one of those, uh, but I was a little rusty and I just do it every once in a while now, not very often. Apple Blossom Way. Tell us how that name developed. All right. So Apple Blossom Way is actually the street that I live on. 
uh, when I was first five years ago and I decided to rebrand and uh, have my official name, I brainstormed for three days and I wrote down all kinds of refinishing names. And then finally, one day I sat on the porch, I looked outside and I thought, you know, my name, my business name doesn't really have to do, have to have anything to do with refinishing, but it needs to do, it needs to be something special to me. And I sat there watching the sunset and I thought, I sure love our home on Apple Blossom Way and I have a place to work. And I thought, that's it. That's what I'm going to name it. So I did. Yeah, that's so cool because the name, um, it's, it's a beautiful name and uh, you do beautiful work. And it, Thank you. It's a nature-esque name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I was thinking there was like a different type of development that went into the name, but uh, that's actually pretty cool. I mean, well, it, uh, the, name, the name has developed it. And become the meaning has developed for me. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, like blossom. When a flower blossoms, it sh- it takes all of that beautiful potential it has, and it just shares it with the world, you know, and it just shines. And so, part of my business now, especially where I te- do a lot of teaching, is to help other people realize their potential and see that, and to be able to blossom as well. So it's kind of evolved into something like it was meant to be this name for more than just my street name, but I didn't know it until now. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I love that. That is, that is very neat. Thank you. So all artists begin their painting venture by, I don't know, imitating, exploring, developing ultimately their own style. So you have done that so well and you're known for taking something in nature and recreating that look design on furniture. Yeah. Tell us how you went from furniture painting slash painting to developing your own techniques, because these are really like, I, I mean, we've seen, we talked to a lot of furniture finishers and each one has their uniqueness and styles and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but I honestly, I've never seen anything like some of the stuff that you've done. It is incredibly unique. So we're interested to hear how those uh, techniques developed. Thank you. And I'm so excited to talk about this because I I don't think I've really talked to the whole world about where the techniques come from. Mm-hmm. I've talked a little bit in my classes. Um, but, well, really, you know, I was taught my whole life to, um, you know, get creative and make it work, like find a solution, right? Mm-hmm. And so I remember when I first started painting, you know, I painted one color. I learned all about top coats and sealants and tried different things. And then uh, I didn't have a lot of money, but I had three different colors of tones of gray and white. And I had this cool dresser and I thought, I don't have enough to make it work. I don't want to mix them. So I'm just going to start layering the colors on there and see what happens. And I started adding texture and um, layers and I stepped back and I thought, dude, that looks like stone. That's cool. <laughs> like that's rad, you know? And um, my husband came home from work and he's a nurse and he said, that looks like stone. I'm like, I know, right? And (laughs) so I started working on that and developing it. And I started using like these, any extra colors I could get my hands on and and really try and develop it. And I thought about it. His, his grandma, her name was Frances Stone. And she like, she would flip furniture on the side and do houses, things like that way back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I looked at this dresser and I thought, you know what, grandma Francie would love this. It looks just like stone. And I thought, and her last name was stone. And Mm -hmm. so I named it my stone finish. And I started teaching other people, but really it kind of came from desperation and uh, just using what I had. And then when I realized that I could create something that looked like something I found in nature, something I love so much and grew up loving, 
then I just continued to explore that and take myself into nature and then reproduce those finishes. It just felt authentic to me. Yeah. And I bet uh, the um, response has probably been pretty incredible, hasn't it? It has. You know, it's, I was a little nervous because I thought this was really different, but people have loved it. And the response on, you know, the classes and teaching, it's just been incredible. It's not something I ever planned on doing, but I love where it's taken me. And I love to see other people, you know, take these techniques and then they create authentically themselves. That's so cool. Yeah. One other thing that, that uh, I really love about the refinishing community is that you've got so many different styles. And oh, yeah. when somebody like yourself comes out with something that's really different, it's it's appreciated and admired. And, and it provides a lot of inspiration because it may not be something necessarily that you know, somebody, you know, who has a different style would want in their home. Right. But, oh, yeah. But they're like, you know, this, this is like, uh, this is incredible. This is really, really beautiful. And, you know, you sometimes you even think you're like, now, could I put this in my home or right. do I want to try it? You know? <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, and it's funny you say that because it is a tricky, it's a tricky threshold to cross. And I think a lot of people are really scared to cross it and just to go outside of the box and do something different because they're afraid it won't sell or people in the area might not like it. But I think kind of I've come to this point where I, I've realized that I need to teach people how to take these looks that I've created and incorporate it with their furniture they have right now. So how can I take, you know, this Reiku inspired dresser and bring a bohemian vibe into the room so that people will be more inclined to buy those pieces because they can incorporate it into what they have now. Yeah. I think when you go furniture shopping, you know, we've tried to convey this often on the podcast, but you know, you need a piece of furniture for your living room or your bedroom. Typically, you run to the furniture store, right? Um, yeah. Or you go online and shop online. But, you know, it's like when you start looking into the world of furniture refinishing and all these exclusive, unique, one-of-a-kind pieces, that really opens up your thought processes of what you could potentially have in your home as opposed to maybe just a simple, you know, one-color piece that's been manufactured somewhere, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> produced one yeah. right after the other. You're like, you know what? I mean, I never really thought about getting that creative with my furniture as far as what I put in my home. And this really opens up the door, you know, the whole industry does, but yes. then even go exclusively into some of these great techniques takes it even further. I love that. I think that's so true. And it's like, not only does it give me permission to open up and share more of my finishes and do more, but it gives the, the buyer permission to decorate and put things in their home that they just love and they're drawn to, not because it's necessarily on trend. And then they can decorate around that. And then I feel like their home becomes more them too. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, you have some online classes you will offer, and we'll discuss that in a bit. But let's first talk about these two primary styles. And, 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 if, and if you've got other styles that I haven't mentioned and you want to talk about them, feel free to go for it. But one being the Reiku pottery style. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so let's let's talk about that style. Tell us a little bit about how that developed. Okay. Well, I'll explain what Reiku pottery is in case... You know, yes, you don't know because there's probably people that don't know. I didn't know not long ago. I didn't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Reiku pottery is basically it's a pottery that's been glazed. It's been quickly fired and, and then quickly cooled. And it leaves uh, this really cool, cloudy, marbled 
textured finish that has really bright colors and some pops of metallic. So you've got copper and things like that. Leaves it, and then it will leave burned areas or mm -hmm. charred areas, kind of rusted patina look. They're really, it's really rad. But I actually saw a picture. We were on vacation and I was scrolling on my phone and I saw a picture of Reiki pottery and they were so cool. I, I told my husband, I was like, this is rad. I got to paint this. This is so cool. <laughs> I love this. And I hadn't seen, you know, I'm like, that would be amazing on furniture, you know. And the next day we went to the thrift store and I found a piece of Reiki pottery. I'd never seen it in my life. And I thought, if this isn't a sign, I don't know what is. <laughs> so I bought it and I went home and I started painting it. And then I realized there was different types, you know. And so I try to um, do different styles of, you know, Reiku finishes. And so I have one that looks like more smoky and smoldering, one that's brighter. And, and then, um, you know, then I started teaching. I wanted to do a class on it. Yeah. And the cool thing is you're not baking your furniture, right? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have to put it in a kiln and fire. Although I have lit a piece of furniture on fire before. I did do that once, but was that just to get <laughs> see what the effect would be? <laughs> no, that was totally it was totally an accident. I did an epoxy oh, really? top, and I had uh, you know you you fire epoxy with uh, a torch to get the bubbles uh -huh. out, and I'd sprayed down some alcohol on it, and I Ooh. did not wait long enough, and I hit it with the torch, and the whole thing lit up. I actually was doing a slow-mo oh, video. I have it on video and I have a slow-mo video of the whole thing going up. And I ran and I got the hose and sprayed it down. And it ended up being really cool. Like, it was good that it happened because I created a cool finish from it. But, yeah, it did. It went up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That You have to be careful about that. You know, it reminds mm -hmm. me of, like, you know, sometimes if you're trying to create a special look with a piece of paper, you know, kind of old, worn look, and you kind of light the edges of it to, yeah. to get that burned effect, and then you quickly get it out. <laughs> yes. So this is a much safer way to create that look. We don't use fire. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. So what about, uh, you have another finish called, I believe it's called a Red Rock Fossil Finish? Yeah. So, okay. So in, in my elements class, I teach a bunch of different finishes. And one of the other finishes that I decided to teach exclusively in that one is the Red Rock Fossil Finish. So... I, I grew up in Utah and I was raised uh, exploring southern Utah of the national parks and um, really spending a lot of time in Lake Powell, Zions, places like that. And the red rock and the cliffs there are just, they're stunning and they have this really cool coloring in them. And at Lake Powell, the cliffs will have like a white base where the water line was and they're just really intensely white. Mm -hmm. Then they'll have, you know, a black that from the water that's come down and oranges and dark browns, it's called desert varnish. So actually like the mm. coloring you see because of, you know, what happens with um, the elements and wind and rain mm -hmm. and it discolors it. So I decided I wanted to take that and create it. And then in the class, I also teach um, how to create texture and like raised stencils, 3D things. So you can do 3D uh, like a fossil look and use different items. Even from the dollar store, I taught him how to make textures with the dollar store stuff and then <laughs> to create that finish. So it's almost a replica of what you see in Lake Powell or, um, you know, some of it, like the hieroglyphics, things like that, and all of the culture and the history of it. Well, I love this, the fact that you're inspired by nature, and then you search out ways to, you know, recreate that look on furniture. Yeah. Um, do, do you also do this on other things as well, like um, maybe a front door? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. You know what? I'll paint about anything and get my hands on, and that is no lie. Uh, <laughs> but, you know... 
as I've as I've really come into a point, I, I've realized how important it is for me to paint things from within and things that um, you know feel just make me feel settled and right and good. I call that you know painting authentically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've decided to start incorporating that in the way I live and the way I decorate. Instead of doing something that's on trend, I want it to be you know feel good, be authentic to me. And so I did do my front door and I did kind of like a Reiku metal finish mm-hmm. and it's textured and it looks so freaking cool. And my husband was really got big eyes when I started, but he's, he lets me do whatever and I love it. And then I also have done a couple of walls in my house, uh, kind of like a mural of one that looks like a wishing rock wall mm. in my front room and it has texture. So it looks like stone. So you, you know, you can take take it and paint it on anything you want to pots or whatever. Well, the door was really cool. I noticed that on your IG account, it really Thank stuck you. out and was like, man, what a, I mean, it's one of those things that you wouldn't necessarily think to do. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like, you know, just paint your door one color and move on. But to be able to take that and do that to the, to the front door, have you had neighbors like, man, what is that? That is, how did you do that? Is that a special door you purchased unless they saw you painting it? Of right. course, but. Oh yeah. It's kind of funny. Cause we actually had, con- we've had construction down at the end of our road. And so I haven't had much traffic and now it's starting to open up a little bit. And my friend's son pulled up and saw it and he called his mom. And he goes, what did Chelsea do to our front door? He goes, well, <laughs> she painted it to look like metal. And he goes, no, he goes, it is sick. <laughs> it was so funny. But yeah, I think it's it's different, but um it just feels so natural that it's not different in the way that you drive past and you're like, "Oh, that's different." You know, it's just different and yeah. that you notice it, but yeah. I love it. <laughs> now, a word from our sponsor. Hi, my name is Diana with the Pink Pine Cone and this podcast is sponsored by my friends at Zebra. I have almost every brush that Zebra offers and I love them all. They give a really smooth paint application and come in tons of different shapes. So whatever project you have, they have a brush for it. I would say though, the Palm Pro is one of my go-to brushes. It's super comfortable to use and it gets right into those small areas and I don't have to worry about that long handle banging up against everything. So if you haven't already, I would definitely recommend trying out one of these brushes. They do not disappoint. Thank you for your kind words, Diana. Tell us a little bit more about your online courses. You've touched on it briefly. Uh, I think the one is called Elements Paint the Earth. I think you mentioned that earlier. And uh, you offer several courses. Yeah, I do. Uh, I have have six courses that are uh, online in Facebook groups. And then I have two courses that can be just purchased off my website. They're pre-recorded tutorials. So the two on my website, I teach you how to do uh, like a German schmear on your brick using paint products. Mm -hmm. So I do on a fireplace. And the other one I, is an iron oxide finish. So uh, I created a color, I named it iron oxide. And then I teach how to get like that rusted kind of iron oxide metal finish. And then the other ones that are, uh, I host them in Facebook groups. So it's like a private group. And then all of the information from the classes is organized into guides. And so they're mm-hmm. like folders. So you can go in and you can find all of the information 
uh, any of the recorded tutorials, products, all of that. And then I do videos and I try and keep it just class info. My classes are super positive. The people are really cool in it. That's been my favorite part. Mm -hmm. uh, just people from all over the world have joined and it's been amazing getting to know people. It's really special. But um, I also teach my stone finish group and I have one on how to paint a piano, uh, cabinets and a faux brick class. So how to do faux bricks on your walls. Mm-hmm. Uh, my elements class, and then I have a back to basics class. So that teaches you everything you need to know from start to finish with tons of blending techniques and, and things like that. Man, you're busy. I know. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but but I don't run them all the time. So I, I set up the class. I get all the info. Some people join it and start the class live. Um, and then I wrap everything up. I leave my group open so people have access to the information all of the time. And then they can come back and access it. And then people can join at any time. I will answer questions and I'm active in the groups, but I'm not always uh, teaching in them, actively teaching. Gotcha. Yeah, I bet that's cool, though, too, when you've got students in the class and I'm sure they probably showcase some of their work or send, you know, photographs mm -hmm. of what they're doing and yeah. to be able to see them creating it on their end as well and maybe adding their own little flair to it. Oh, a hundred percent. That's the best. That's the, that's the whole reason I do it. That's the reward is to see these students take the techniques and either master them or put themselves into it and create something even, you know, d just that feels like them. That's so cool. There's nothing better than that. So is there any, you know, if, if somebody's listening and they're like, you know what, I've always loved painting, but I've never really dived into this type of creative painting. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that I'm capable. Like, what would you say to somebody who like they're interested, but they're just concerned about maybe that's oh, yeah. not something they can do? Oh, yeah. That's and that's a total real fear. And it's funny you say that I've actually had I've answered three messages today with that exact same question. Really? Um, and here's the truth. If you can follow instructions and you just go for it and try it, you can do any of my classes, no matter what skill you have. I try and teach all of my classes in a way that is very um, basic knowledge. I break it down enough so that someone who's just beginning can understand it and then an expert can easily take the steps broken down and um, understand them quickly as well. And so any of my classes are great to join. Uh, the more artistic classes would be my stone finish group. Elements Paint the Earth uh, has so much info on textures and finishes. It's it's would be it's really fun and it's a really eye opening um, class. Whether you are a furniture painter, if you paint walls at home, if you just want to paint uh, on canvas, that's an awesome class. No matter what your thing is, um, but if you were just starting out and you wanted to learn more, the Back to Basics class is the one I would totally recommend taking. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because <clears throat> that was one of the things I wanted to address was just the fact that uh, it, you're, the people who probably end up taking your classes is probably broad-based, meaning they're not just furniture finishers. I mean, they're just they're artists or maybe they want to be a more advanced artist. And so whether they're canvas painters or whatever it is, maybe decorative faux refinishers or whatever, that this would be a great opportunity to, to grow your skills. Oh, definitely. The textures, all of the products that um, I use in the class, I have used on canvas. I've used them on um, like fabric. I've used it on the front door, on the exterior of my home, you know, and so anything that you can paint, get your hands on, you could do it too. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think, you know, so often, you know, we see things that are beautiful, but we don't think about how we can recreate the look. I mean, we admire them, love them, Mm -hmm. but then we don't kind of go beyond that, you know, moving from recognizing its beauty to being inspired by it. Can can you provide us some tips on how to develop your own painting technique? And I suppose it starts from being inspired by something you see elsewhere, either by nature or something in a different industry. So maybe it's a combination of like how to develop it. Maybe it begins with, you know, being more observant too. Yeah. Oh, totally. I'm going to answer your question and I'm going to walk you through a little story at the same time because I feel like providing a visual for this explanation will be so much more powerful. Yeah, excellent. Um, So this last weekend, we went camping down in LaSalle. It's uh, southern Utah, right on the border of Colorado. Mm -hmm. And the cliffs are uh, very much, like I described earlier, big, tall red rocks, multiple colors. It's just absolutely stunning. And we drove down into this canyon, down to an old abandoned mine. And the colors on the cliffs there and at the entrance of the mine were intense greens, um, like a really intense Greek blue color. Mm. Like, and they were just naturally there. It was incredible. Now, what I tell people when you want to create your own finish, you know, you have to break it down into into steps. You have to break it down, right? And so from that experience, being down in that mine and seeing all that around me, I can take a picture of the whole thing. And then I look at it and think, okay, what do I really, what am I really drawn to? What do I really love in this? And then I'll look at that. Okay. It's those rocks over there. So I'll take a close up picture of the rock, save it for later. And then when I'll look at it, I'll actually really zoom in and see what do I love about this? Is it that color? Is it that texture? You know, or did I like the colors from, you know, the old abandoned mine and the sky and the cliffs? Was that what I was drawn to or did like, I like the texture of the cliffs? So I really break it down and then I say, okay, I liked those colors together. Mm -hmm. And then I create a finish based off of that. So I break it down from that experience. So from seeing those rocks last weekend, you better believe I'm going to paint some of them. (laughs) (laughs) I'll post pictures. You'll you'll have to see it. Yeah, (laughs) that's cool. So once you start breaking it down, then you've got the actual, I don't know if you would call it like the experimentation process. Mm-hmm. You're creating your fo- your formula, kind of. Yeah. So yeah. when you when you do that, um, let's say, speaking specifically of refinishers, mm-hmm. would you start uh, on, especially when you're mixing the paint and, and maybe you're using some form of, uh, you know, substance that creates texture, do you start on a board versus a piece of furniture? Or is that is that sort of a given? Um, I okay. I don't because I don't like um, following steps and following the rules. I just want to get on there and start mm. painting it, and then I just learn as I go. But when I teach, I have to break down the process and put it into steps on boards so that I can teach others how I created this finish. Uh, so I do teach others that if you're going to do that, then kind of play around with it. You know, instead of painting a line of trees on the dresser, sit down and look at it and decide why you like it. And you like it because you like the texture of it and you like the color. So then you're going to decide how to do your texture, do it on a board, and then you can start building from there. Unless you want to try it on a furniture, then go for it. <laughs> yeah. I guess it really just depends on who you are, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a person, your personality and whether you're kind of bold with it or if you're, you yeah. know, 
bold slash risk taker versus somebody who's maybe just a little uncomfortable with it, you know, starting off. And so oh, you yeah. want to just be a little more cautious. I, w- I think it would be difficult, though, to, um, <clears throat> of course, I guess if you're really paying attention to what you're doing, you're going to be able to emulate it again. But I think it'd be frustrating if you were a furniture painter and you were experimenting with a new technique, you were doing it on a board and you loved it so much. And then you were like, man, I wish I had just done it on the furniture piece. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It goes both ways. It, I really think you're spot on, though. It depends on your personality because some people are like, I'm going to dive all in right now. And other people are like, well, I got to check the temperature with my toe and I'll slowly get in. So it just <laughs> depends on who you yeah. are, I think. Uh, yeah. And being comfortable with that, because I suppose if you step, I mean, we always talk about stepping outside of your comfort zone and that's mm-hmm. important, but. I guess there's a line where you step too far outside of your comfort zone when it's not really you. Yeah. And you're probably going to get frustrated. Oh, yeah. If it, it has to be authentic. It, yeah, it's got to feel like you, whatever you're doing. So. Now, when you find something in nature, uh, you know, do, like how close, and it's sort of a crazy question, but like how close do you get, like let's say if it's a rock formation, mm-hmm. you like the colors in it. Do you get like really close to it or are you just like, it's not necessary. Like you're just capturing it visually. It was beautiful. Like you said, you identify the colors of like, what makes you like, what, what about it do you like? Right. Do you like it? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking I can, I tend to be kind of analytical. So I'm thinking you're out there with a magnifying glass and a loop or something and you're like (laughs) really, really close. (laughs) Oh, no, no. I just kind of, well, usually I'll do two things. I mean, for me, I get close to to things and I touch it. You better believe that I had my pockets full of rocks, as many (laughs) as I could fit because they're incredible. Um, and I hiked out of there with those and I wish I could have taken more. So I do, I like to touch and feel and get really close. I'm not with a magnifying glass. I feel like just a general picture. I have one of the area. And then if there's like a cliff I like or something, I'll take a picture of the cliff. Mm-hmm. And usually I don't get too close. And that's because, you know, I got to I gotta cover a big piece of furniture. So by seeing more of the cliff, I can at, incorporate other things because that cliff is going to have so many, so many um, different details and things like that. So it will help give me ideas if I have a bigger picture of it versus yeah. just a zoomed up, zoomed up one. Do you combine elements that you've seen? Like a lot of times you're like, you're inspired by a specific, you know, rock formation or, you know, on a hike, but mm-hmm. have you found yourself like, you know, I really like that. And then I saw this, we went up you know, to this place on this hike and you end up like sort of creating really your own look yeah. as a combination of the things that you've seen. Oh yeah, totally. Like the, the last piece that I just, I just barely posted it. My last Reiku piece, um, I named it Afterglow, kind of when the sun goes down, it gets dark at night. Some of these mm-hmm. bright colors from the sunset glow. And um, I really felt that in that piece on the top of the piece. And the bottom piece was more of like the charred, burned, textured area. And so I, I do, it is combining almost that elements of like a night sky. And then this um, like kind of like destruction on the bottom is mm-hmm. how I think of it. But I, when you say that, you just have me, gave me the greatest idea because I thought this would be so fun to um, maybe write down a few, you know, things that I really love or I want to paint mm-hmm. and throw them in a hat and then pull out a couple and then show how to combine them. That would be oh, cool, yeah. right? Wouldn't that be fun? That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> we'll have to do that. <laughs> yeah, you got to do that. that. That would be fun. And that would be just absolutely extraordinary to see what you come up with. Yeah, it might be scary. 
but that's okay. <laughs> that's, okay. that's part of it. Exactly. That's <laughs> if right. it doesn't turn out, that will make it turn out. <laughs> uh, absolutely. So, um, a couple quick things. You, uh, I've noticed your staging wall. You've got a really cool staging wall with some lights. Is that in a studio? Is that in your garage? Is that in your home? That's a great question. Uh, it is in my garage, my unfinished garage. And I finally, I decided I needed just a stationary staging wall because I was so tired of moving that giant stone finished buffet in my front room every time I needed to <laughs> stage. And, uh, so I, I actually just painted the actual interior of the garage wall. And so the beams are just the support beam. It's just the framework. And I painted mm -hmm. it, but it looks almost like a design, like I designed the wall. I just painted it white. Uh, I hung some photography lights that my friend gave me down and I plugged them into the ceiling. And then I have an old metal tabletop. Uh, it's probably like eight feet wide. And then I just lay that down in front of it. And then I put down a little board <laughs> wow. uh, that looks like a trim. And then I photograph it and it looks like the floor is kind of like a shiny, cool concrete floor. And so it's kind of, it's like a trick of the eye, but mm -hmm. that's how I do my staging wall because I don't have anywhere else to do it. Yeah. I think it's really important to note uh, that, you know, as creative as you are with these different techniques, that you know where the limitation is, especially from the standpoint of photographing and staging. I mean, your staging is really beautiful and your staging wall is simple, yet unique and creative. And what I like about it is it doesn't take away from your furniture piece. And Thank you. I think some people, and you've probably seen this well, um, or seen this often, is that you'll see somebody do a really cool piece and it's really unique, but it's almost like they got carried away with the staging. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't say that as a criticism so much as it right. is just an encouragement to go simple so that you can really highlight your piece as well. And I think that's so important. It's important, obviously, for selling your piece, right? I mean, oh, so yeah. Yeah, the people, someone has to visualize it in their space. So if you have too much stuff up there, it's hard to see that. But I think that's something that's learned over time, too. I feel like, and even in my own life, I feel like simplify, simplify, simplify. And I tell myself that when I'm staging, you know, maybe all I need is the skull up there. Maybe that's enough, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and then sometimes I'll take a picture with the things on it and with it off and I'll look at the photographs and compare them before I photograph the whole thing. That's a really a great way for, you know, to, to not take the time to take all the pictures to figure out what you want first. Yeah. And it is, you know, just like anything else, it's a fine line. It's, um, you know, everybody has their preferences, of course, but mm -hmm. I think there are some you know, steadfast rules that apply to, especially with the idea of trying to sell your piece. And just as you just said, trying to put it in a place where people of all walks of life can look at it and go, that's really beautiful. And yeah, I could see that in my home. Yeah. So it's not, it's not too done up, but, it, but I say that. And then I, you know, I look at somebody like uh, the vintage sisters who have won a couple of awards through the golden brush awards and they don't, they're not necessarily simple stagers, but mm -hmm. it just seems like everything they pull together looks, it just works really well. And oh, it, yeah. it, it just highlights their piece as well. So there's a, there's a talent. Oh, that. I totally agree with you. There's, you know, there, it's just like some, some pieces you see, uh, they have like a busy wall. Like you said, um, it doesn't matter what piece they put in front of that wall. It just works. Like it's yeah. their style. They've designed it because their work, they know their work will look good with it. And so it just works for them. But I, I think the general rule is, you know, just simple, simple is easy.
Yeah, and we've talked to the Vintage Sisters, and, and they love the staging, and they're confident with it. I guess uh-huh. that's the, the, the lesson, and, and you just highlighted that, is that simple is the way to go, especially if you're not comfortable. If you just don't know, and you're like, I don't know if this is too much or not, well, then just go simple. You can't go wrong to go simple. Right. Totally agree. Thank you so much for sharing your passion and creativity with us today. You are incredibly talented. Um, Thank you. Yeah, listeners, if you want to learn more about Chelsea and Apple Blossom Way, you can check her out at appleblossomway.com. She has a great website where you can sign up for her courses. And her IG account as well is Apple Blossom Way. Um, are you on Facebook? You said Facebook group? Yep, Facebook Apple Blossom Way, TikTok Apple Blossom Way, YouTube Apple Blossom Way. We got a lot of Apple Blossom Way going on. <laughs> well, that's cool. Isn't that nice when you can use it across the board and you don't have to kind of change it up when you go from one platform to the oh, next? Oh, yeah. I know. That is That can be tricky, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on, Chelsea. Have a great day. And we can't wait to see you put those ideas in a hat, pull them out, and see what you come up with. I know, I'm actually really excited about that. I love that. Like we just brainstormed this whole idea right, <laughs> right. here. I love it. Exactly. Thank, thank you so much. I have so enjoyed being on here. I think this is a great opportunity. I told you before we started that I think this is amazing that um, you all do this and you highlight artists and it is very much appreciated. So thank well, you. We, we love doing it. Uh, we'll have to have you back on, especially after you follow through with that, uh, pulling those things out of the hat to talk about what you came up with. Yeah, maybe we'll have to do that. All right. You take care. All right. You too. Thank you. Today's refinishing tip comes from Diana with Field Co. Design. Hey there. This is Diana Frankenfield with Field Co. Design. Zebra invited me to share a refinishing tip, so I have a fun one for you guys. So often I like to create overall a smooth finish on my pieces. So after I do all of the cleaning, prep work, shellac, I prime my pieces to help see any missed areas. And then after the primer's on, I'll use the DAP uh, paint projects caulking for seams and go back and wood fill any imperfections and then sand it all down so it's super smooth. So after I sand it down, I use a tack cloth to remove like the majority of the dust particles. But I have found that depending on the piece, some have little indentions, fluted or reeded details or grooves that are really difficult to get to. So finally, here's my tip. You know those cans of dust off that are compressed gas that people typically use for like keyboards, electronics, blinds, etc. Those work perfectly for this. Um, so even when I think I've cleaned all of those little particles, I will go over the lines, spraying the air, and more always come out. So honestly, it is perfect for furniture. Um, I typically wait for like a pack to go on coupon at Costco, but you can also get the cans at Walmart, etc. And they're around $4 a can. That way, your piece is super clean, ready for that perfect, smooth paint finish. So I hope you guys enjoy this tip, and thanks for allowing me to share. Thank you, Diana. Great tip, and I love those spray air cans. Another great use for them. Today's question of the week is, what did you do before you began refinishing furniture volume two? This question was so popular last time we featured it, so we decided to ask it again from more of our friends. Who knows, we may have volume three and four eventually. It's so much fun learning about your careers before refinishing. Let's hear from some of our friends now. First up is Stephanie with Wild Sparrow Designs. 
Before I began refinishing furniture, I used to be a visual merchandiser,、uh, and then I ended up becoming a visual manager.、Um, I used to work for Bloomingdale's. Um, in their、uh, as as a merchandiser on、um, in their housewares department, doing all the beds, the china, the housewares,、um, working in their fashion floor, doing the mannequins, and then from there I went to Domain Furniture. Which was a、uh, company in Boston, and they had a、um, whole bunch of different stores. And I used to work the New York region, so every day we go to a different store, and set their window, set their floor with all of the new furniture pieces that they would introduce every every. Season every quarter.、Uh, then I finally worked at、uh, ABC Carpet and Home in Manhattan, which I loved, and I used to set their、uh, antique floor. So I got a big education on different styles of furniture,、uh, different antique styles, how furniture was made, and that was very interesting to me.、Uh, I ended up becoming the manager at the Long Island store, and that's where I got to set the entire store. So it wasn't just left to the antiques. I got to do all of the high-end furniture and、um, all the the small accessories and the bedding and, and what have you. So I, I started there, and、uh, I started doing faux finishing、uh, on the side as I worked as a visual manager, and then it just became a full-time job. Hi, this is Franny LaBeouf with Frandelion Fields. And before I started refinishing furniture, I was really looking for a creative outlet outside of my regular nine to five job, where I could combine my love for interior design as well as creating to really come up with these one of a kind custom pieces, not only for my own home but for members of my community as well. Hi, this is Katie from Salvaged by K Scott. What did I do before I started refinishing furniture? Well, I worked in retail for a few years before I started in the human resources department of a big box home improvement retailer. I was responsible for keeping track of all of the staff's schedules and time off, coordinating benefits, hiring, and the onboarding process, as well as training new employees. I was also a bit of a therapist whenever someone needed me to be, and although it was a very emotionally draining position, I absolutely loved my work family. After I had my second son, the company restructured their HR practices, and I decided that it was a better fit for me to stay at home with my kids for a few years. And that is when I fell head over heels for the whole process of a good furniture flip. Hi, my name is Derek, and I am the artist behind the grandson's brush. What I did before refinishing furniture was、um, I was actually a global sales rep. For a very very large、uh, candy company, and、uh, let, let's just say it wasn't as sweet as what it sounds. I definitely enjoy refinishing furniture、uh, much more. Thanks, Stephanie, Franny, Katie, and Derek for sharing. If you have a question you would like asked among your refinishing peers, send me an email at lane at enjoyzebra dot com. If we answer your question on the podcast, you'll receive a free zebra paintbrush. <laughs> Some exciting changes have taken place with our monthly furniture refinishing contest, the Zebra Review. 
we are moving away from the monthly themes to highlighting a monthly furniture category, you know, like buffets, hutches, nightstands, etc. And we are broadening the opportunity for refinishers to enter the appropriate category by allowing you to enter pieces all the way back to the beginning of the year. This month, our focus will be on desks with back to school. We thought it would be excellent timing. A few other changes we wanted to make you aware of each month. One of our four judges, Katie Cloud with Katie and Company, Katie Scott with Salvage by K. Scott, Lauren Schwachina with Portland Rose Studio, and Jen Talley with Perfectly Imperfect Furniture will be the featured judge. The featured judge will choose their favorites from the contest, and the remaining judges will select the first, second, and third place winners. The featured judge will also join me on the podcast to interview the three winners each month. And this month's featured judge is Lawrence Fuchina. Okay, this is very important. In order to enter your refinished desks, you must use the hashtag ZebraDesks. That's ZebraDesks with an S at the end. This will change each month, of course, depending on the category. One really cool element to this new direction is that you will be able to peruse the specific hashtags for a specific style and be inspired of course it's kind of cool a huge thank you to this month's sponsors surf prep sanding d lawless hardware fusion mineral paint and zebra paint brushes if you have any questions feel free to reach out to any of the judges or send me an email We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Zebras Before and After Furniture Refinishing Podcast. Today's episode, along with information about today's guest, is also featured on enjoyzebra.com under the podcast tab at the bottom. Your comments and suggestions for future episodes are always welcome, and we encourage you to share them by sending your emails to me at laneball at enjoyzebra.com. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and happy refinishing.